second to get everything else situated here. Actually, on you just got a bit of a sneak peek at a couple of blanks, but anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. We're actually on lesson number three this evening. Let me get your handout. Handouts here. Lesson number three. And threes, could you hand them up? Okay. okay. Lesson number three this evening. And it is an interesting lesson a lesson on unbelief. A lesson on unbelief. And our, our text verses is actually in Mark chapter 5. I think those are uh, I think those are on your sheet there. Mark chapter number 5 and it's verses 22 to 24 and then verses 35 to 43. So I'll we'll go ahead and uh, well even before we start let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here this evening. And then as we <clears throat> just uh, look over this lesson tonight, just a lesson on unbelief. And um, I pray that it would just be, be a challenge to us, um, be a challenge to those um, hearing it, uh, of course, in person this evening and anyone who may be. Listen, listen to it on a recording, Lord, but um, Jesus, to please um, help me to be able to convey what I need to, what you want me to this evening, and that we would, um, yeah, that you just be in our midst this evening, working in our lives. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. So Mark chapter 5, again, verse 22 to 24, and then verse 35 to 43. So I'll start in verse 22. It says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he saw him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue, which said, Thy daughter, why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow 
Simon, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth him in the temple, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. In the storm, or he had put them all out and taken the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Getting real faith in the Lord's capabilities is a growth process. And you know, every one of us, then we'll, there will be times of doubt that we will experience. You know, and in this lesson, we'll actually see, as you've already read, you know, people actually laughing at a proclamation of the Lord and then being astonished at its fulfillment. Um, so some goals to think about uh, as we look through this lesson. Um, number one is just to understand that the Lord sees all our griefs and our sorrows. Um, number two, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And then number three, this is perhaps the most challenging one, but choose to believe what the Lord has said, although it may seem humanly impossible. So let's jump into to our lesson here. Of course, we've already read read the text verse, but thinking back to, again, kind of the focus of our, our study here, but in the last two lessons, we've seen you know, Peter's discipleship education kept him at the Sea of Galilee. That's where he was you see, called, and then instance with the fish, and a great catch there. But now, we'll journey with Peter to a new classroom, roads to, the roads of Capernaum. And here we'll learn, along with a man named Jairus, a powerful lesson, interesting, I don't believe but on unbelief. John Wooden once said, repetition is the key to learning. Indeed, we see this in Peter's life. In our last lesson, we watched as Peter learned that trust and obedience are foundational to becoming a disciple of Jesus. But Peter had not mastered the concept from just that one experience. In fact, you'll see interwoven throughout every succeeding lesson here the importance of trust and obey. Good teachers understand, as Jesus did, that continual reinforcement of learning is vital. And we can all be grateful that the Lord is that patient for us. When it comes to trusting the Lord, we often, we're often merely a step away from unbelief. It's kind of interesting to think about. We more easily doubt than we trust. With God's help, however, we can leave doubting behind and walk forward in faith. Three times in the New Testament, the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17. Galatians 3.11. Shall 
Hebrews 10, 38. As we continue our discipleship education, let's travel back now to the dusty roads of Capernaum and see Peter learn once again that nothing is too hard for the Lord. So the first, uh, first point here, we have the sad, starts with an S situation, yes. That was uh, one of the ones that was up there as a preview, by the way. <laughs> the sad situation. When sin entered the world, paradise on earth departed. Out of the resulting tragedy, death is one of the most heart-wrenching struggles that we face, particularly the death of a child. In this lesson, we'll meet a man named Jairus who is facing the terminal illness of his young daughter. Undoubtedly, he had called the best available doctor, sparing no expense. But despite all of his efforts, nothing worked. And barring a miracle, he and his wife had accepted that their daughter would die. When our passage opens, as we've read already, we see this anguished father fully aware that his only hope was Jesus casting himself at the Savior's feet. So, subpoint A, we have the father touch the P. Father's plea. On the surface, Jairus appeared to have it all. As a ruler of the synagogue, he held a prestigious, enviable position. But at this moment, he had one desperate thought in his mind. If he could just get to Jesus, his dying daughter could be healed. When he saw the Lord, he, a man of power and authority, humbly cast himself at Jesus' feet. In fact, the Bible says Jairus besought him greatly. This wasn't a simple request, but a impassioned plea for help. He knew the Lord was the only one who could heal his dying daughter. When someone requests something of us, generally how they ask determines a response, right? If they begin casually, if you get a chance, or if just when you get around to it, you know, no rush, then we'll generally take it casually as well. You know, we understand it doesn't matter much, you know, one way or the other. But if the person will come to us in a great distress, as Jairus did, we would be much more likely to act, only, not only immediately, but with a sense of urgency, a true sense of urgency. When we pray, how do we ask something of the Lord? Are we fervent? like Jairus was, this is how God wants us to talk to him. James five sixteen to 18. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man analogy. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavenly rain in these verses on prayer, James recounts the passage in 1 Kings 17 of Elias, or Elijah, who prayed earnestly that it might not rain to show God's power to an unbelieving king, King Ahab. When you pray, be earnest, be fervent. God will take notice. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Psalm 34.15 
Psalm 145, 18-19. Recorded throughout scriptures are stories of fervent petition. Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, 10 to 15, earnestly prayed and wept before the Lord for a child until God granted her request. David fasted and prayed all night, asking the Lord to spare a son, 2 Samuel 12, 16. In the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, the widow received her request simply because of her persistence, Luke 18, 1 to 8. Christ showed us the ultimate example of fervent prayer in the garden right before his crucifixion, John 17. When we fervently pray, the Lord hears us just as Jesus heard Jairus' desperate request for help. As Christ traveled to Jairus' home, Peter and the rest of the disciples followed. An unexpected delay, however, was just around the corner. And this would, to many, seem to be a delay Jairus' daughter couldn't afford. Which brings us to subpoint B, which is the daughter's search the P plight. In Jairus' heart, there was hope. Jesus was coming. Jairus believed his daughter could be healed, but in the middle of their journey, Jesus stopped. This is actually the verses that we didn't read in our passage, the in-between verses there. Then out of the curious throng accompanying them, a desperate woman plagued by an issue of blood touched the Lord for healing. Like the dying girl, she had found the doctors hopeless. And Jesus in his compassion saw her faith and healed her. But this delay appeared to be a fatal one. A messenger from the house came saying, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest the master any further? At this point, it seemed Jesus was too late. At the beginning of the story, Matthew records the father telling Jesus his daughter was even now dead. That's in Matthew's account in Matthew 9. While Mark says she was at the point of death here, Matthew 5, and Luke says she was dying, Luke 8. Based on this, Jairus was apparently expecting her death. When he said his daughter is even now dead, as recorded in Matthew, he was pointing out that she was so sick that surely she could have died by the time she reached Jesus. Where doctors could no longer help, where medication could no longer cure, Jesus knew, Jairus knew, there was one who could prevail, and his name was Jesus. Come and lay thy hand upon her, he urged, and she shall live. At this moment, Jesus is not just the last resort. He was the only resort. Even though Jairus began with great faith, Jesus knew the delay on the way and the report that his daughter actually had indeed died could undermine his faith. Thus Jesus encouraged Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. If you go back to the, like the text verses on the front, you see that in verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, 
only believe. Like Jairus, do we take our cares to the Lord, no matter how insurmountable the problem? 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Psalm 27, 14. Is that one not on there? Okay, yeah, that one. You should read both of them. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say not. Are you in the middle of a hopeless situation? Have you tried everything? To no avail. Only until we've given our burdens to the Lord can we rest knowing we've done all we can. In the early 1900s, Charles Tindley pastored a large church in Philadelphia. One of his members came to him and poured out a long list of troubles. Tindley's advice, based on 1 Peter 5-7 that we just read, was put all your troubles in a sack, Take them to the Lord and leave them there. Out of that conversation came the hymn, Leave It There. It's in our hymn book, I believe. If the world from you withhold of its silver and gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. To the crowd, the situation looked hopeless. Perhaps even Peter and the rest of the disciples were beginning to doubt. It's interesting, you don't, we're not told of their thought process and reaction at this point. While they, are, while they knew the Lord could work miracles, the girl had already died. But to Jesus, this was an opportunity to demonstrate to the spectators that his power could break even death's grip. Which brings us to point two. We had the sad situation, and now we have the scornful, also starts with an S, spectators. By the time Jairus reached his home, a crowd had already assembled. Perhaps there were some that were generally grieving, friends and family. Maybe others were just curious, attracted by Jairus' position. Possibly some were professional mourners, looking to earn money. But we do know all of them doubted Jesus' ability to raise anyone from the dead. Subpoint A, we have the Lord, sorts of an A, not answer. Admonition. First, then A S. Actually, A double S. Not assurance. Kind of another word similar to assurance. Assertion. When Jesus arrived, he told the mourners that the young girl was not dead, but merely sleeping. And looking at the harmony of the Gospels, we see three accounts of the statement, all of which use this exact wording, and they laughed him to scorn. They thought, why would Jesus say this? How could he know? He was, now, he was just now arriving on the scene, with the, while those who had been personally keeping vigil with the girl's mother knew she was dead. 
Surely this man, Jesus, didn't know what he was talking about. Well, we may not laugh as the mourners did. Don't we sometimes feel that the Lord doesn't understand our situation? We wonder if he truly understands how busy we are, how discouraged we feel, or how little money we have. But when we entertain those thoughts, we're guilty of unbelief. In reality, we're saying, Lord, you're wrong. Just as those at Jairus' house did on that day, his little girl died. In our last lesson, the Lord told Peter to cast his nets into the deep again, despite his doubts and his questions. But because of Peter's obedience, he was blessed with a great catch of fish. God's statements may run contrary to human reason, but that never has and never will invalidate what he said. Let me say that again. God's statements may run contrary to human reason, but that never has and never will invalidate what he said. What God says will always be true. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. Psalm 19, 7 to 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 119, 151. <laughs> Thou art near, Lord, and all thy commandments are true. In 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16, God had instructed his prophet Elijah to go to a widow woman who would sustain him. Elijah found the lady and asked her for some bread and water. She told him, all I have is a little meal, of course it's a paraphrase, all I have is a little meal and a little oil, and I'm going to bake it, divide it between my son and I, and because we have no more food, we're going to starve, basically. And Elijah said, it's interesting, I never realized this. Elijah said, just as Jesus did, fear not. He continued, again, paraphrasing here, go ahead, but make me a little cake first, and then for you and your son. God has said you will have all the meal and the oil you need until God ends the drought. And that's exactly what happened. But the widow had to trust and obey when it didn't make any human sense in order for the miracle to happen. 1 Kings 17, 10 to 15. So he arose and went to Zarephath, where he came to the gate of the city. Behold, the the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, 
the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the fruit of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Maybe you've heard it stated, no, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It sounds good, and strong, and spiritual, but in reality, the middle part is unnecessary. If God says it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. The truth was about to come to life for Jairus' friends and his family. That brings us to sub-point B. We have the peoples, starts with a D. Uh, doubts. Stronger than that. Not disgust. They're all shooting around it. <laughs> D E D E R. Derision, yes. The people's derision. It's hard to fathom that people would actually laugh scornfully at a time like this and direct their ridicule against the Son of God himself. But what's even more astounding is that these people quite possibly knew Jesus personally. Jairus' home was in Capernaum, which was based kind of in Matthew 9 called his city. Kind of like Jesus is kind of his home base for his Galilean ministry there. They should have understood the Lord wasn't insane and at least given him the courtesy and respect to hold their peace, especially during mourning. Think about that. They're mourning and then on they're laughing at him. Isn't that kind of odd? You think about it. Kind of odd. And very disrespectful, obviously. <laughs> Not even just to him, but to everything else. We question how these people could have mocked and doubted Jesus so openly. But before we judge, let's look at ourselves. How many times do we struggle with unbelief? Don't we know God well enough to know that we can trust him? People often resort to mocking what they don't understand. That's one reason unbelievers sometimes ridicule Christians. Religion's a crutch, they state. You're just looking for a pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Some jeer. Never heard that one before. Because they refuse to believe what they can't prove to their satisfaction, they wonder how we are satisfied to placidly trust a God we cannot see. They question the accuracy of the Bible and wonder why such an ancient book has our allegiance. But until they believe, these are things they will never understand. Everyone must make the choice to either surrender their doubts and believe what they can't understand or continue in their willful unbelief. 1 Corinthians 1 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Hebrews 11 6. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is what was running through Peter's mind as he followed the Lord into the house? What was he thinking when he saw the girl lying inside, obviously dead, when the Lord had said she was merely sleeping? 
And after experiencing many mighty works and miracles in Christ's ministry, he knew nothing was too hard for God. Had he learned from his experience with the miraculous haul of fish to implicitly trust Jesus, even if he didn't understand? Or did he still allow doubts to shake his faith in what Christ said? We, too, will face situations where we must choose between doubt and faith. During those times, let's ask the Lord to help us overcome our unbelief and trust his word. In a different miracle, there was another father that came to the Lord requesting healing for his child. Like we do at times, he struggled with doubt and needed the Lord to strengthen his faith. Mark 9, 23 to 24. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightly the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. A Christian lady was once introduced as the woman of great faith. No, she gently said, I am the woman of a little faith in a great God. All of us will struggle with belief. However, we have a great God who can help us overcome our doubts. At Jairus' home, those who laughed scornfully at Christ didn't exercise faith. Although we often find our own faith lacking, we can choose to choice to exercise the faith we do have. Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things Luke 17, 5 to 6. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this uh, sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and thou be planted in the sea, and it should, be, and it should obey you. Despite the spectator's derision and unbelief, Jesus continued inside to heal the young girl. Christ was going to confirm once again that he was not only trustworthy, but all-powerful. That brings us to our last point this evening. Point three is the sufficient, also starts with an S, Savior. The sufficient Savior. To the crowd, Christ was too late and out of touch with the situation. After all, the child was dead. To them, it seemed ludicrous that he, a newcomer, would say she was merely sleeping. Despite the sensitivity of the situation, they began to mock him openly. In the next few moments, however, their scorn would change to astonishment. One of God's names revealed in the Old Testament is El Shaddai in Hebrew, meaning God Almighty. In Genesis 17.1, I think that's the next verse. Someone would go ahead and read that one. And Abram was ninety years old when the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty Walk before me. interesting in the context of that, uh, where that comes up. The spectators, the grieving parents, and the disciples were about to find out that the Christ, Jesus Christ was the El Shaddai. He was and is the all-sufficient, almighty God who can do anything. Subpoint A, we have Peter's, search them A. A double T. A double T E. 
close. Attend, attendance, yes. Attendance. Out of all of Jesus' disciples, there were only three who witnessed this miraculous event. Peter, James, and John. You can see that in the other Gospels. Peter, along with the other disciples, had responded to the call of Christ. That decision to leave all and follow him determined their future. And now they were going to experience one of the rewards of their obedience. But those rewards weren't limited to the disciples. We too can see God work in miraculous ways when we follow him and stay close to him. That's one reason why Christians ought to be faithful in church. We never know when God is going to do a work far beyond the scope of what we could hope for or imagine. Time after time, Peter showed a desire to be near Christ. Interesting, think about that. He showed a desire to be near Christ. Peter was the disciples to come to him, was the disciple to come to him on the water. Peter was the first to run into the empty tomb. That's a powerful lesson for us today. When we stay close to Christ, we will not only experience miraculous things, but we also have opportunity to impact others. Could you imagine the joy that Peter had in retelling this story in the years to come? What a special time it must have been to see death defeated and mourning suddenly turned into rejoicing. Likewise, we could share in this joy when we are at a service where a loved one is saved or where great decisions are made by being close to Christ. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. Then he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit and the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye be rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ by Christ Jesus throughout all ages and world without end Amen. many times Peter was faced with a situation he didn't understand. We could probably sit down and think a lot about a lot of different ones. One's coming to mind, a certain fishing experience with a fish and a gold coin. (laughs) Think about that one. When Christ said the girl was only sleeping, what did Peter think? Did he feel uncomfortable being associated with the man everyone was laughing at? But Peter refused to abandon the Lord. As a result, he witnessed the Lord miraculously raising someone to life. In 1959, 35-year-old Navy test pilot Alan B. Shepard was chosen from a pool of 110 highly qualified volunteers to be one of America's seven original astronauts. On May 5, 1961, Shepard became the the first American in space making a 15-minute flight and reaching an altitude of 116 miles, that's pretty high, aboard Freedom 7. 
1963, Shepard was officially grounded because of an inner ear condition, but he didn't leave NASA. He became chief of, the, a chief of the astronaut office, overseeing the scheduling and control of all activities of the other astronauts. He assisted with mission planning for the Gemini and Apollo programs. With his physical issue corrected by an operation, he was once again cleared to fly. And in February of 1971, he became the fifth man to walk on the moon. As he stepped onto the moon's surface for the first time, he declared, it's been a long way, but we're here. He got there because he first responded to the call and then patiently stayed with the program despite all adversities. God wants to bless us, but only those that obey and remain faithful to Christ will fully experience his wonderful works. So we've got subpoint B. We have the maids. It starts with an A. No attention. Think action. Ing. Arising. The maids arising. Picture Jairus and his wife hovering near their daughter's bedside, eyes fixed on the scene unfolding. Jesus took the child's hand. Clustered nearby, the disciples watched, waiting. And the Lord's voice filled the room. Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. The Bible says she arose straightway, meaning immediately. There was no gradual returning of the consciousness. Instantly, she was fully restored. Not only did she arise, but she walked and ate. She had not just been brought back to life, but was restored to full health. That kind of reminds me of the 1 in 10. The Lord does nothing halfway. After all, Jesus had told the Father, Fear not, believe only, and she should be made whole. As always, Jesus was as good as his word. Joshua 21, 45. Joshua 23, 14. First Kings eight fifty six. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he has promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses the This twelve year old girl had been raised from dead death to life by the giver of life himself. Likewise, when we were saved, Christ breathed life into us. Now we are commanded to be ambassadors to bring life to a dying world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as through God did beseech you by us. We pray in you, Christ. We pray you in Christ's name. So our last sub-point here, we have the parents, starts with an A. Similar word. Astonishment. Astonishment, yep. Parents' astonishment. 
Luke and Mark both state that Jairus and his wife were astonished. In some ways, this could be described as a partial faith. Jairus believed that Christ had the power to heal, but didn't believe that Jesus could likewise bring a resurrection. Interesting, think about uh, Lazarus in John 11. Remember, Jesus asked, basically asked like Martha, no, do you not believe? And she's like, yeah, no, I know he'll be at the resurrection at the last day and everything like that. But it wasn't not now kind of thing. When the news came that his daughter died, Jesus said, believe only, and she should be made whole. Jairus heard that, yet he and his wife were surprised when it happened. We pray and ask God to do mighty things, and yet when he does, we're somehow surprised. As believers, we know we have a big God. Therefore, we ought to be possessors of a big faith. Great Christians of yesteryear truly believe that God can do anything but fail. Noah believed God was going to send a flood. David believed God would give him the victory over Goliath. Elijah believed God could send down fire on Mount Carmel. Daniel believed God could shut the lion's mouth. George Mueller believed God would provide for his orphans through fervent prayer. D.L. Moody believed God would save multitudes through the faithful preaching of his word. We too can experience the blessings those Christians had if we would just believe God can do the impossible. So in conclusion, believing the Lord's word is a choice. Faith is a verb. Faith is an action, a verb. Both Jairus and the crowd heard Jesus say the girl was sleeping and not dead. The spectators mocked in unbelief, but Jairus chose to have faith that the Lord could heal his daughter. The Bible doesn't say where Peter stood. Had he taken the side of the crowd and doubted? Or had he chosen to believe the Lord despite lack of understanding? Either way, the Lord demonstrated that he was worthy of belief, that he knew exactly what he was doing and that he was all-powerful even over death. Like Jairus, we will all face struggles with our families, our finances, our health. Despite our problems, God is greater than all. He not only knows where we are, but he feels our pain. It is he whom Isaiah called the man of sorrows. But look at the next verse. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53, 3-4. He is despised and rejected of men, and men of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. It may appear that God doesn't care or understand, but when we're tempted to doubt, remember Jairus. Christ sees exactly what is going on, and he knows exactly what he's doing. It is our responsibility simply to trust and obey, asking God for the strength to go forward in faith no matter what. 1 John 
4.4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that concludes our lesson. Again, interestingly, not a lesson on belief, but a lesson on unbelief. Any thoughts from anybody? Anything that stood out to you in particular? or Pastor? They laughed into scorn, trying to reckon that situation. Um, well, there's probably all sorts of laughs. It's hard to believe that they were like, laughing in a laughing way. But if, if he was mourning and a person's dead and they're really hurt inside, you might lash out and deride the person who's claiming something else and just feels disrespectful. I kind of feel like it must have been something just out of hurt and, and anger that somebody would come after somebody's dead and make somebody would come. So, this was going to happen regardless of if they believed or not, because Jesus said But he wanted them to only believe. And so, like, what's the benefit of believing if it's already going to happen? Uh, this just this came to my mind of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She acted in belief at the uh, at the wedding where the water was turned into wine. She was proactive and said, "Do just do what he says." You know, like full belief. She brought forth something through her belief. You know, in the scriptures, it tells us that. That's how we're to uh, approach, approach God believing that anything we ask in his name, he will do it. You know, there's, I think that's the, that's the power. He's going to do things and we can sit back and watch it or we can be a part of bringing forth and being on the front end of something. Just a thought. Any other thoughts? Anybody? Or? Any other thoughts or uh, anything that stood out to anybody else? Or? It's interesting. Um, 
thinking about um, in this situation here, again, like when the you see the faith that was the initial one to come to Jesus in the first place, you know, and then come along, then there's the delay, and then the news that comes with the delay, but then Jesus, like, is immediately with, fear not, believe. Same thing with Elijah back in you know, First Kings with the new, and he prefaces his thing with, fear not. It's interesting that the Lord doesn't want us to fear. You know the cliche, fear or faith, that whole kind of cliche thing, but it, um, it is interesting with that. That, I know that, that was something that kind of stood out to me. But, um, last call. Any other, anything else stood out to anybody or thoughts on the lesson tonight? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for, um, thank you for this evening, the opportunity that we had to be in your house and just to hear and your word as it was opened and it's the lesson tonight on, again, more on the unbelief, not necessarily on the belief. And for us, again, it's so easy to not believe what you say and to, uh, to doubt. It is a lot easier to, um, to doubt than to trust, it seems. But um, as was said, you are the same God that parted the Red Sea. You're the same God that raised these people from the dead. Again, you didn't raise everybody from the dead, but you did. You demonstrated that you do have the ability to do that. And um, just as we live our lives and things that you want us to do and to be and to go and to think that we would just fear not, but only believe, and that we would trust and obey what you've called us to do. And that we would, that with Peter, desire to stay close to you. and Because that's where great things happen, is close to you. And um, I ask that you would uh, be with us to a good, um, be with us this evening, give us safety as we go to our homes, bring us back together again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.